0: Welcome to the Devoted City Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people find, trust, and follow Jesus. To learn more about our church, visit DevotedCity.com. In today's episode, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Donnie Williams, or a member of our teaching team. Well, good morning, everybody. So a couple of weeks ago I was on vacation and one of the things, uh, I don't ever like watch the news, I never sit at home, any news junkies that sit at home watch the news and you wanna admit that today, it's okay, you don't have to. Um, but I don't do that. Uh, so w- the most time that I'm listening to the news is, is when I'm listening to it in the car. And so we did a lot of driving on vacation and I was listening to the news. And, and when you listen to the news and you see the chaotic state that our world is in, I think you would agree. Like what's called holy, and what's called okay, and what's not okay, and you know, messing with kids, all that kind of stuff that's going on in our world, it would be easy to look out at the future and be very afraid. It would be easy to look out at the future and have a lot of doubts. Anybody else do that? You look out at the future and think, well, what's, what's gonna become of the world for my children, for my grandchildren, or wherever you are in life, What's gonna happen? Well, this series that we're going through about how faith works should give you a lot of comfort about the future because, like all throughout scripture, we learn who controls the future. And in the book of James, as he's telling us how to live our faith out on a day-to-day basis, today we're gonna learn some things from James as he tries to get his readers to get a different perspective on the future. If we listen to the world, we will have one perspective on life and the future. If we listen to God's word, we'll have a completely different perspective on life and on the future. It's from his word comes truth, from the world comes lies. And so the reason we're studying God's word like never before in the history of our church is because we wanna be focused on the source of truth, not influenced by the source of lies. And so last week, we talked about this, this contrast that James made between uh, being a prideful and practicing humility. And we learned how pride blocks the grace of God from being in our lives. Because if you don't think there's anything wrong, you don't think you need the grace of God, you're never gonna receive it. And pride is what keeps us from that. So anywhere there is pride and it's celebrated, there is an absence of the grace of God in someone's life. And so that's what James taught us last week. And this week we're continuing on with more of his teaching and he's still carrying with it the idea of pride because maybe when you heard about pride, you thought about everybody but yourself. Well today, James is gonna talk to us about pride and it relates to every single one of us. It begins in chapter four, starting at verse 13. You can look along on the screen or turn there with me, where he says, now listen. Now, there's two times in this verse he says, now listen. Anybody's parents, you know, when they say, now listen, what do you do? You listen. So we get two now listens from James in this section. Now listen. Listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them the second now listen now listen you rich people see james cares less about feelings and more about truth now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver have corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Let's pray over this scripture before we talk about it today. God, thank you for these challenging words that come from James. God, may we apply these words to our hearts, not other people's lives, but our lives. May we hear your words through the words of James. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Think about that. Now, how many of you actually can remember what you wanted to be when you were little and you became that? There may be a couple people in here. You became that, great. There's a couple people in here. You became exactly what you thought you were gonna be. So for the rest of us, we didn't. So here's how life tends to work. You know, We're a kid, we got these dreams, we want to be whatever and you've got that dream and you become a teenager and then not long after being a teenager, you get a little busy with life and then people start asking you where you're going to college or what you're gonna do for a living or what your major is gonna be. They're, they start asking all these questions and so that's forced upon us and we have to decide that. There's pressure, we gotta do career and school and, and get, finally maybe get out and get into the workforce. You know the average person changes jobs every three to five years? And the average person does a complete career change four times in their life. And somewhere in there, you hope to fall in love and marry, and that changes everything. Whatever plans you had before that, they're gone. You got new plans now. You're in love. and You got somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with. When I met my wife, whatever she said our plans were going to be, I was good with that. <laughs> just so I could be with her. When we first got married, I wanted to have so many kids that we had to get a 15-passenger van to drive around. We had the first one, and I was like, you know what, I think one's good. I don't think we need any more. Now, we, got, we have a couple more, so we have three. But So she won that argument, but I was, I was kind of one and done. And then my plans went all over the place. I love my other two very much. Can't imagine life without them. But then my plans went all over the place when it came to a career, but until finally I felt being called, myself being called by God to be a pastor, and that one stuck. See, the point is we can make lots of plans, but we don't know what the future is gonna look like. We're not sure what's next. We're not sure what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what unexpected things are gonna come our way, what dream might die, what passion may shift to another area. Maybe pain hits our lives out of nowhere, but God provides. Here's two ways you can fail at planning. One is you give up planning because the first plan didn't work at all. So you just say, forget it. I'm never planning anything again uh, because that didn't work out. So I'm just going to take life as it comes. Some people live that way. Or you stubbornly stick to a bad plan that you really need to change, but you're stubborn. And prideful and saying, this is my plan. I'm sticking to it. I'm not stopping. There's no way. Well, James tells us, if you're going to look out at the future and plan, you need to do it with humility. And beginning in verse 13, he says how to do it. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Nobody. Nobody. You don't know what's going to happen. And what causes us to look at the future with this confidence that we know what's going to happen is pride. Because none of us have control over what happens tomorrow. You control your reaction today. You control what you do, can do today, but you can't control tomorrow. At James, at the time James wrote this, there was a, this Greek concept called hubris and hubris was uh it was kind of connected to greek mythology and and he would have known that his readers would have known that and so the the best way to translate the word hubris or the concept is excess excess attitudes uh passion excess pride excess outrage excessive transgression we live in a world today of hubris it's still going on And James is saying, don't be so prideful that you think you're going to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Only God knows that. And James is saying, why do you boast about it when you don't know what's going to happen? Now, he's not saying it's bad to plan. We need to plan. You need to have a financial plan and a career plan, an academic plan. Uh, Of course, it's okay to plan, and he's going to tell us exactly how to plan in this section. But what he's echoing in these first few sentences is what comes in Proverbs 27 where, he sa- where it says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. So boasting or pride is the opposite of humility. So how can you plan for something that you don't know what it's gonna be like? And so he says, look, be careful because life is uncertain. Be careful the way you look out at in the future because you don't know what's gonna happen. Also, you need to know Life is short. The very next verse, after he says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Now, in in the original language of Greek, the most literal translation where he says, what is your life, would be, what sort is your life? And by what sort, meaning, consider your life. Think about it. You make these plans like you're going to live forever. And it's great to, Just stop and take stock in your life. Now, you may not like it. It's hard to to think about it, but all of us have an appointment with death. How's that for encouragement? (laughs) I mean, the death rate is one per person. That's how it works. So all of us are headed in that direction. And you know, there's some people that they don't like to think about it. So they won't go to the doctor because what if they found something wrong? Well, that's why you go to the doctor. So if they do, they can fix it. Some people, did you know there are people that won't buy health or life insurance because they're afraid they're gonna die? Well, I don't sell insurance, but here's what I'm assured of. We're all headed in that direction. So life insurance is always a good bet. It's always something that we should look at and purchase. And so James says, here's your life. It's still a little bit left. It's gone. That's what he says. Your life is like that. It's a mist, it appears for a little while, and then it's gone. Now, students, here's what you don't realize. You don't think about life being that short. But one day you're gonna look in the mirror and there's gonna be a gray hair. And you're gonna say, where did that come from? Or there's gonna be less hair all of a sudden. You're gonna think, where did that, I haven't looked back there in a while and there's nothing back there. Or you're gonna just like get up one morning and something's gonna hurt that you don't remember doing anything, maybe you laughed, or bent over or something, and now there's a pain. That's coming for everybody, and I think that's God's way of saying, hey, just remember, that's your life. (laughs) That it's coming to a close for all of us at some time in some place. Jonathan Edwards, an early American theologian, in 1722 wrote down personal resolutions And his resolution number nine said this, I resolve to think much on all occasions of my dying and the common circumstances which attend death. Now that might sound morbid, but it makes sense. That's what James is saying. What lot is your life? Think about your life. What sort is your life? Think about it. So when my grandfather died, we were going through his uh, journals. He had a lot of journals and he'd written a lot. He was a a pastor and he planted churches. And so he had all this, this stuff in his house and we're going through it. And one day I'm looking through one of his journals and he was probably, it was probably in the sixties. He was planning his death and he was writing out his funeral. He was probably, it was in the 1960s. So he was probably in his fifties and he's planning out his funeral. And he had a list of all the men that he wanted to speak at his funeral. Well, he outlived most of them, and so he would, it's a list of guys, and then there's a red marker. And then he would write in somebody else. And then he would write in somebody else, and I remember thinking, Grandpa, what? Like, this is a little morbid. Why are you doing this? Why did he do that? Well, maybe it helped him gain perspective, that life is short. That's what James is trying to say. Don't live thinking you're going to live on this earth forever. You know, in early America, it was a kind of a a Puritan community thing that the way churches and cemeteries were built because they were built where? In the center of town. And they built the church and then beside the church was the cemetery and you can still go to small towns and see that. And the reason they did that is because as people were going throughout their day, conducting business and building relationships, they wanted people to think about two things. One was God, there's the church, and the other is the brevity of life, that we're all headed where they saw those people laying, and they wanted it to impact the way people lived day to day. So he's trying to help us get perspective when he says, there's your life, and then it's gone. So then he says, let me tell you how to plan. Instead of planning the way you're planning, let me tell you how to plan with your life under God's control. Verse 15 and 16. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So what he's saying is instead of bragging about what you're going to do, say, if it's the Lord's will. And one thing that I love about reading the book of James. He does care more about truth than feelings, but he's not rude to people. But he's willing to call evil evil. And we need to be willing to do that today. If we don't call evil evil, how will our kids ever learn what evil is? If we don't call evil evil, how will people that don't know Christ ever move to the point where they feel like I've got to change my life because what I'm doing is evil? If we don't call out evil, nobody else is going to do it. Evil's not going to show up and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm evil. That's not how evil works. It kind of mixes its way in the way it did in the first century. And James says that kind of boasting of thinking you are in charge of your life is evil. And if we don't call that out, no one else ever will. It was common in the first century to speak to each other and say, if it's the will of the gods, I'm gonna go do this or do that, if it's the will of the gods. James would have been familiar with that saying. He comes along and says, if it's the Lord's will, meaning the, not this plural small g gods that you don't know what they're doing, But this Lord over you that you've given control of your life, your feelings, over to something greater. And so that's why he doesn't say the same saying, well, if it's it's the God's will, he said, if it's the Lord's will, we will do that. Meaning people of faith live with the realization, number one, life is short, but number two, all that we do needs to have a consideration of, I want to do the Lord's will in my life. So should we make plans at all? Of course we should make plans. Of course we should be people that think about the future. Just use a pencil. Just don't plan in ink that that you're not willing to change because God might have something different in store for you. And then the last part of chapter four, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. He's speaking to the people, he just said, Hey, don't don't brag about what you're doing. Don't brag about what you're gonna do in the future. Pay attention to what's right in front of you. There's things that are good to be done right in front of us. And he's saying, Don't miss that. And if you miss that, if you ignore that, it's sin. You can't control the number of your days. You can't control what's going to happen tomorrow, but you can control what happens today in your life. See, this verse comes back to what James shared in the earlier chapters, which was, if you have faith, show it by your actions. Don't just make big plans about the future and speak about those. Take care of what needs to be taken care of today. Now, the second time, he says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Like, I don't don't know if James was maybe in a bad mood when he was writing this, but... He really wants to get a point across that people trust in wealth more than God. Now before you go, whew, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not wealthy. Here's how wealth is defined. Now in our little bubble of our country, of our city, of even our zip code, uh, we might define wealth very differently but here's how wealth is defined worldwide, having more than you need. That means you're wealthy. Now, some people might have a lot more than they need. You may just have a little bit more than you need, but if you have anything more than what you need to get by, you are wealthy. Most of you probably have a room at your house that has a big door on it that you park your car in it. You're probably wealthy if you have one of those. You're even wealthy if you don't have one of those if you have more than you need. That's likely every single person in this room. Now, if that's not you, you don't have what you need, Uh, we're here to serve you let us know we'll help we want to be here for you but the the great majority of us if not all of us have more than we need and that's who James is talking to because again we come down to like happens so often when we get deep into scripture a lot of what scripture talks about is how do we choose God's way over the world's way and when it comes to wealth He's trying to say, look, a lot of you have chosen the world's way when it comes to your wealth. You need to choose God's way because culture will tell us that the pathway to happiness is what? To achieve, to earn, to acquire. And when you finally get there, you'll find happiness. That's a lie. The culture says, follow whatever's in your heart and that's gonna lead you to happiness. That is a lie from hell that that leads to happiness. James is trying to say your life is rotting away and you think you're moving towards happiness, but you're really moving towards hell. And he's just saying, here's what, it's not wrong to have wealth. Some of the most generous, Jesus-loving, Jesus-following people I know are wealthy people who share their wealth to make a difference in the world around them. But if we do have wealth, the temptation, is to see that wealth as a source of security instead of seeing it as a blessing that we get to enjoy and share with others. See, the best here, here's, here's the best way to know if you love money too much. You wanna remember this. If you're ever asking yourself, do I love money too much? Give more away. I'm not saying you have to put it in our silver boxes out there. Just give more away, however you do it. We appreciate it, we need it, It helps further the mission of the church, but if you feel like you love money too much, just start giving more away. That will take care of your love of money. And all of this section points back to chapter four, verse six, when he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's so easy, and maybe you did it last week, if you hear and heard me talk about pride, to think about everybody else. To think about the other ways people have pride, which are wrong, but sometimes we do that and miss the pride that's inside of each of us. And so James says, hey, those of you that think you control the future, that hoard up your resources just for you, you need to know that's pride. And you need to remember, no matter how many resources you have hoarded up, that's still your life. That's still your life. And then what? What if we lived life? This is what I think James is trying to say. Live life with an awareness of the brevity of it. Live life knowing uh, it's a blessing to have, it's a blessing to live. If you've ever, if you're someone that has had a brush with death, or a medical diagnosis that you just, you thought you weren't gonna come back from. You took a different view of life after that I know people that have walked through scary stuff when it comes to their health, and they have a completely different view of life. What if we just backed up and had that view of life anyway, instead of having to have a brush with death to have it? There's a story about this this old guy and young guy were talking one day, and the, the young guy was working a lot, working a lot of hours, spending a bunch of time at work, just over and over and the older guy said man it's a shame that you have to be away from home and family so much and the old guy said let me tell you something that's helped me keep a good perspective on my own priorities he said one day when i was in my mid-50s i sat down and i did a little math the average person lives about 75 years so he said, I multiplied 70 times times 75 times 52, and I came up with 3,900, which is the amount of Saturdays the average person would have in their lifetime. And he said, "Because I was in my, my mid-50s, when I did this, by that time, I'd lived through over 2,800 Saturdays. So I got to thinking, if I lived to be 75, I only had about 1,000 Saturdays left to enjoy. And he went on to explain that he went to the story about a thousand marbles and he put them in a place where he could see something he saw every day. And so every Saturday, he would go into his office in the windowsill and he would pull out a marble and he would throw it away. And he said, I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on the really important things in life instead of the things that don't last. He said, there's nothing like watching your time here on earth run out to help you get your priorities straight. And as he finished, he said, oh, yeah, one more thing before I go. I'm going to go take my lovely wife out to breakfast. This morning, I'll take the last marble out of the container. He said, I figure if I make it till next Saturday, then I've been given a little extra time. See, we can't choose whether or not we get more time. We can choose what we do with the time that we have. See, when we see life in that perspective, things change. I don't know how many Saturdays we have left, but it's one less than it was yesterday. So you may have a lot, you may have a few, but if you start to see your life like that, it's easier to have a perspective that says, you know what, maybe I should focus on the the things that last, the things that'll go far beyond me. And so today on the way out, I want to give everybody a gift, a marble. I wish I had thousands to give every person, but we have one for each person. On the way out, get a marble and put this in a place where you can see it. And every time you look at it, think about, you know what? My life is brief. My life is just a mist. It'll vanish after a while. What am I doing today with the time that God has given me? And so every time you see this marble... I want you to join me in praying this prayer. God, I don't have to be in control because you are. Amen. Let's pray that together out loud. God, I don't have to be in control because you are. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to think about the brevity of our lives. And help us to take to heart the teaching from James that that encourages us to live every moment under your will. And in humility, I always approach you with any, any plan that we have. God, help us to give you credit for all the good that happens in our life. Help us to call out evil when we see it and live every day knowing that you are in control. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks Amen. for listening to the Devoted City Church Podcast. If you liked today's episode, rate us and subscribe so others can be encouraged too. We invite you to join us on a weekend at one of our locations or online at devotedcity.com.